Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Multi-Level Mormon Missionary. Hi everyone and welcome back to the channel. I'm PD. This is Sister PD and it's date night again. <laughs> How about that? Two weeks later. How's your two weeks been? Um, yes, thank you for having me back, PD. I feel very unprepared for this discussion or episode. Um, I'm putting the fact that I'm here down to me having PDitis. That's a little bit like missionaryitis, if anybody wasn't sure. Okay, fantastic. She has an itis for me. Um, if anyone's noticed, Sister PD has been color coding our outfits for these episodes. This week, we're pink make the investigators wink oh my gosh it's almost like you practiced it okay uh this week let's take a look what we're on the restoration ish mormon missionary third discussion that's the one we're going to be taking a look at this evening uh but before we get there every now and then in mormon land something happens that you can't not discuss and i think tonight we need to just have a brief discussion Sister PD doesn't know we're going to discuss this. We will be getting her genuine first reaction um, to yeah to what we're about to discuss, and that is the Associated Press article um, that came out this week. Seven years of sex abuse. How Mormon officials let it happen. And um, trigger warning. Obviously, we're going to discuss now just for a couple of minutes uh, what was in this article the church's response to the article but for me having been a bishop um during the time when this uh, hotline has been in in play never knowing about it this uh article they put out really kind of hit home um so it was a story from arizona and it speaks of a young girl mj was a tiny black-haired girl just five years old when her father admitted to his bishop that he had been sexually abusing her the father a member of the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints and an admitted pornography addict was in counseling with the bishop when he revealed the abuse the bishop who was also a family physician followed church policy and called what church officials had dubbed the helpline for guidance but the call offered little help for mj lawyers for the church widely known as the mormon church who staffed the helpline around the clock told bishop john herod not to call the police or child welfare officials instead he kept the abuse secret they said you absolutely can do nothing herod said in a recorded interview with law enforcement so a bishop uh, reaches out using the helpline. And in the church's news article, the Deseret News article that they brought out saying that the Associated Press have totally kind of taken this out of context, um, they said that the, the hotline has been going since 1995. And I was a bishop in the mid-2000s, never knew the hotline, never had the number, um, didn't know it existed until years later. So that's how well the hotline was publicized for bishops and state presidents to use. Over here on the right-hand side is what the Associated Press has said is the process that this bishop went through and that the bishops do go through. The bishop has 
a query. Oh, not that one. A bishop has a query. Rather than going straight to law enforcement, they call the abuse helpline. The abuse helpline passes the information onto Curtin McConkie Law Firm, and then Curtin McConkie Law Firm let the bishop know what he can do next. Yeah, you you have um you have sprung this one on me, PD. But the, just just from the few comments that you've said there, and obviously this is not the topic of our discussion tonight, but you said that helpline had been around since nineteen ninety nine. Uh, one of the things that you know I'd love to have answered is. How often does that helpline receive updating, training? What are they governed by? You know, it's that kind of thing. If, if we're still offering 1919 something help to situations, it's, it's just, and again, my heart goes out for that young child because I believe that they think as long as they deal with the situation, there's no help required for the child. And obviously that as a mother breaks my heart. Well, this um, this father went on to have another child and abused that child for seven years. So continued to abuse two young children for seven years. Uh, in the article, it speaks of two bishops. The first bishop, Herod, was the one that called the helpline. And then when he was handed over to the next bishop, told him of the situation. But the church had told him there was nothing that they could do. And they apparently... Um, said to each other, it's sad that there's nothing we can do about this because um, the church says they were they were held back or protected under um, kind of like, a, you can tell a priest what you want and they can't say anything, law in Arizona. Um, but then these people have pointed out that the law in Arizona is that there is that sort of priest privilege um, but that in the cases of child abuse um, and, and these sorts of situations, it doesn't matter. Yeah. So the church was saying that they can't say anything because they will be sued um, by the, um, you know, the abuser for breaking that privilege. Um, well, the good news is they've probably got enough money and a really good law firm if they do get sued. Yeah, absolutely. But you know how we, how they got found out? They got found out because this dad was also filming things. And in New Zealand, one of the videos that he'd filmed showed up in a bust in New Zealand. So it was the New Zealand police force that sorted it out and, you know, cut through all the crap all the way from New Zealand, cut through all the church's crap and said, this guy's doing this. Um, and it, there's a video on um, on the article as well from the Associated Press that they put together. And I think it doesn't say it's the Relief Society president, but the way that she's talking, she's speaking about visiting teachers, going to the home and reporting back to her that they were seeing things, the way that he treated the children, the way that he was with the children, the things that he saw in the home, that there was something wrong, but the church just couldn't do anything, which was just ridiculous. Yeah, I find this I find this a little bit tricky because at the end of the day, we are not the church. You are not the church. I am not the church. If I was a sister going ministering and I felt that there was something that needed to be done, I am not the church. I'm an individual. I'm not covered by any rules. You act as an individual should act. And it is sad that it took the New Zealand police to, um, you know, discover or you know make known what a very large organization already knew 
yeah, it's ridiculous. Like, I just, it blows my mind. Uh, I thought that we we could do a whole episode on it, but I just felt like we needed to address that uh, before we move on because it is something that's going on. And I think it is something that we'll see kind of a little bit of a sea change with the church. I know that they already kind of uh, have said, you know, now we go straight to law enforcement and that this is from years ago, but it, I'm guessing it won't be the only one. I'm guessing yeah. more will come forwards, unfortunately. And when, and you, when you put this article out there, I was just going to ask you um, what country was that in? And I know that it makes no difference, PD, but I just feel that every time I see an article, I automatically, and please feel free to bring me down, people, I would automatically go, is that America? What I'm trying to say is there's still something within me that feels the church is different in America to in the UK. And then I probably feel that it's it's not this, like you said, is happening, you know, all, all over. No, we see we see paedophiles in church all the time disappear whilst they go to uh, jail and then come back and they're like, oh, yeah, nothing's wrong. Um, but, yeah, this is in Arizona. Um, so the the girls um, and the family of the girls are suing the church. So the dad took his own life in jail in 2017. Oh, wow. The mum accepted two charges of child abuse. Um, and, yeah, they're suing the church for not acting upon um because there's there's a, a so that didn't really work out for him then no the church that slightly backfired because they're being sued anyway yeah uh, but Good on him. because in there's uh what is it called reporters um anyone the mandatory reporters and the church of mandatory reporters i think i hope i got that right and they failed to do that and i think that's the basis that they're suing them on good okay well we will move on but before we do thank you to tom kaufman for your donation um the donations from last time guys got sister pd this awesome tripod so that we can hear her better this time and she's also not wearing mini pd headphones i've been gifted by pd a set of headphones that mean i won't be going away feeling like someone's just um... <laughs> yeah so it, it, it all goes back into the show for making uh, sister pd a little bit more comfortable um, thank you for that and thank you to everyone for all the likes that we're getting on the videos uh, 200 is the goal for this video and let's move on and give you something to like about it before we do sister pd how did you like the thumbnail this week um am i allowed to be honest on this show oh PD? go on you're <laughs> I was, honest yeah i was a little bit confused by it to be honest is he is he holding the melon um is the pirate laughing at him is he retorting his words uh, but PD, you're the professional and I'm just the assistant. So what do I know? I thought it was wicked. <laughs> you know, usually that's the way it goes in our marriage. I think something's amazing. Sister PD puts me down, tells me stop being stupid and uh, be more sensible. Yes. Remember, viewers, I get all the crazy ideas first and then I try to make them a little less crazy um, so that they're palatable for you. Okay. Um, so the discussions, the ones that we're basing all of these um episodes on are the 1986 discussions this is the third discussion uh, but i've just put up on the screen the order of the discussions next to the order of the lessons from the current preach my gospel so we've got the one to six there we've obviously already done one and two um if you've not seen them head back and take a look but they mixed it up in preach my gospel i guess they thought things needed to be a little bit more ordered and they got some new psychologists in 
that said if we give it to them this way they're more likely to believe us and yeah take it so this week we're doing the restoration and it seems like we've done a lot of joseph smith in the first three in the plan of our heavenly father there was like one paragraph on heavenly father there was one page on heavenly father one page on jesus and then the rest of the book was about joseph smith then we got some jesus last time and this time we've got more joseph smith so it's like jesus in a joseph sandwich <laughs> yeah okay so yeah this one's all about joseph again and what the church do is they start with identifying what the truth is that they want to give you okay they re re kind of shape truth for the recipient and then they say that the truth has been taken away from them so they give them uh, a hole in their lives and then they tell them how they're going to fill that hole so it's almost like um someone selling you something you didn't know you needed when you didn't really need it they just told you you needed it well, yes, sales, sales pitch. Okay. Truth versus error. So the church gets straight in there with unchanging truth. At the top, the truths of the plan of our Father in heaven are eternal and unchanging. Now, I would challenge at this point, who is our Father in heaven? Because there are so many different Father in heavens for different religions at different times who have different truths. So the first thing you could say there is which which one, obviously. Um, and they go on about the basis for all the commandments. But then in this second paragraph, the ideas of men are limited. This is where I think they're creating the whole. This is where they're giving the investigator the problem. You know, they're saying that your ideas are limited. So any idea that you or any scientist you've ever read about, or any, any scholar, anyone like that that has told you about the plan of God that is different to what we're about to tell you is limited. Because the ideas of men are always limited and changing. Human wisdom can never lead to a full understanding of eternal truth. Whereas I would say right now, that first sentence, you could replace the word men with the church and say the ideas of the church are always limited and changing yeah we're def definitely going to get into that pd can i can i trouble you for a question hit me so what i'm thinking is i always try to act as your investigator if possible and i'm i'm wanting to know if you had more or less success with different age groups so the read the reason i'm asking that is you're you're saying that this discussion is two young men rocking up to people and telling them you know what what is truth and I just wonder whether you had any more favor or less favor with the different age groups. You know, is there that thing that the older generation would say, what do these two young'uns know? Or is there that thing that the older generation are more trusting? And actually that it was the younger generations. Bear in mind that your mission was pretty much free the internet. You know, I, I, just, I just wonder how people would react to you, you know, telling them this. I think it didn't just depend on age. It depended on background okay so older investigators with a religious background and a less scholarly point of view on life were great um but then you've got um younger investigators who come from 
uh, humble religious backgrounds in different parts of the world. So in, young English people were not, not, interested. not interested. You know, they got the internet. People from Western society, they've grown up in a secular generation. They weren't really interested. But people coming from, you know, uh, third world countries, immigrants from Africa or from the Middle East even, um, you know, and, yeah, poorer parts of the world were more interested because religion takes a bigger place in their life from birth. You know, they grow up in very religious societies, um, very Christian societies a lot of the time. So, And not to, sorry, I've cut you off, on. not to detract too much. I guess that's another reason the church wanted all the elders looking a particular way, as in, you know, this is good for us, this is, you know... You see what I'm trying to say, the the milk honey thing, you know, you you can you can be as we are if you do as we do. Yeah, Clean, absolutely. shaven, well dressed, very respectful. Yeah. A picture of health, that sort of thing. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if I was a picture of health, but I get what you're saying. Yeah. You were a picture of hair back then. The, that, that's the, the clean cut guy. Yeah. yeah. But but basically this section sets up um the fact that the investigator is lacking truth. And I'm about to tell you where you can find it. So Christ formed his church. This always used to um, trouble me because it said Christ formed his church, but the only thing it says is he called apostles and prophets and gave them authority to teach the gospel and act in his name. This authority is called the priesthood, and we get to that soon. But how does that compare to the church today? Because if all Christ's church was, was apostles and prophets, you know, the, the, you don't read in the Bible about Jesus going to sacrament meeting on a Sunday or having general conference or, you know, just setting up a, a, a physical building or anything like that. You know, he goes to the synagogue. He's a, a Jewish radical um, who, yeah, he's preaching at, at temple, at a synagogue in different places classifying it as a church i think is a stretch as a movement yes but as a physical church where today they'd say god's house is a house of order and that's why we have all of this uh, red tape that's why we have all of these men sat in this hierarchy and then they compare that to jesus and you're like no that that's that's not what as far as we're aware if there was a jesus it's not what the Bible leads me to believe Jesus's church was. It was just more of a, a movement at the time. And that, that all that organization came later. I, I would openly say and have said to you, PD, that as we go through these discussions and I think about the things I thought I knew, I really don't know that much. No. About Jesus and the time that he was on the earth organizing as you just called it his his church and i realize now that my 30 something years of being taught week on week kind of left me lacking about what i knew about jesus yeah he, he was just kind of a missionary just go around you know and he doing was good yeah he, he was doing all the the jewish things and then he was a radical so he was he was kind of he got his own riff on it and the jews were always waiting for a messiah and I always like to tell people, I think Jesus was the Joseph of his day. 
you know, that Joseph Smith, if he were 2,000 years ago, he, you know, the Bible would be written about Joseph, not Jesus. That there's always those charismatic leaders of movements in their times. And whether Jesus is truly the Son of God, who knows? But regardless of that, this discussion is going to tell you. <laughs> he is. You are lacking the truth. And I'm about to tell you where you can find it. Yeah, absolutely. So um, they, they go hard on Jesus' death here. After his death, Jesus continued to lead his church by revelation. Um, and basically, it teaches what revelation is and why you need it in your life. And this is why I say there's a revelation trap. Because this person, this investigator, did not know until this very moment that they needed someone else to speak to God for them and for someone else to tell them how to live their lives. And if they are to believe these two missionaries sat in front of them who have built a relationship of trust and who are taking them through this very manipulative um, psychological exercise of the discussions, then they're now entering into the revelation trap, which means that once you're in there, you are always beholden to the church to tell you what God wants you to do. You can't get away from that. You become reliant upon someone else's revelation to fulfill your life. Whereas before, you maybe felt that you could talk to God directly and you could have your own ideas about the universe, you could have your own ideas about Jesus. But once you go through this Rubicon, you're stuck in a revelation trap because you've you've given up um, your right to kind of steer your own course. Yeah, I think differently. I suppose I don't. I don't mean that yeah. to sound too alarmist, but yeah, you're right. You, in a way, with the revelation, you you're giving up your right to think differently or have a different opinion. Yeah, uh, Aaron Jarvis, mission present taught us to commit investigators to baptism in lesson one. Uh, when we did lesson one, it says in there to commit them to baptism. You so can't that's... see my face, but I'm making that face in relation in relation to Aaron's comment. Work. Really? Work lesson most of the time. one, and it worked most of the time. I don't know. I just... Aaron, where did you serve your mission? South America. I'm putting it on South America. I remember I went back to saying missionaryitis, PDitis, because sat at church on a Sunday when you were on your mission and I was probably the girlfriend, you know, wearing the big smile, wearing the big badge, proud of what you were doing. And yet our own missionaries had rock up with these investigators. And I think, where did they find these fools? <laughs> yeah. Aaron, Philippines. That makes sense. Okay. If I, if I found a house full of Filipinos, you teach that house till you're finished in that area. Like full of Filipinos, full of Africans, full of people from, South America, the Middle East, those people were just humble and would listen and you could get some serious numbers out of those houses. Okay, principle two. Oh. Oh, just to be clear, a number was a number was a number. You didn't get like double points for people who were related or lived in the same house or anything like that, did you? Oh, you did as long as you taught them separately. <laughs> you know what? Oh, I'm no, no, no. Actually, no, no. If you taught a first lesson and there were six people there, that was six, that was six first yeah, lessons. Yeah, that's, that's what I mean. But there's no bonus points. No, no bonus points. No. Um, I got my slide out of uh, 
out of order. The church structure, okay, so speaking about Jesus' church again and the fact that we're pretty sure that this on the right-hand side wasn't what he put together in the Bible, okay? Because this with the 70s and different things, the church just seems to have taken all of the Bible, or Joseph does at least, and said, right, we're going to have some of the Old Testament, we're going to have some of the New Testament, we're going to have a little bit of my own, and then we're going to call it the fullness of generations, and that's what it's going to that's what it's going to look like. But in early Mormonism, 1830 over here is the structure that you had in 1830. So you had the president of the high priesthood, um, and I'm assuming that would have been Joseph Smith, Oliver Cowdery, and one and Hiram, probably. Uh, this is 1832. Then you've got the high priests, Bishop of Zion, Bishop of Kirtland, presiding elders, and then elders, priests, teachers, and deacons. Um, but then everything changed slightly as the church grew in 1835. Now, 1835 is going to be an important year and date for this discussion um, as we go through. So the church expanded a lot, and it started creating these stake presidencies. It started creating patriarchs and 70s you know and this is where the old testament starts coming in with the 70s you know you compare this to new testament jesus and it's it doesn't quite stack up so thank you to john c hamer for that chart sister pd I, i'm just looking at a standard pd going on the right i kind of have no idea what's going on don't get me wrong that is what i've been brought up with and you would have one of those posters yeah whether you try and whether you try and remember all the names of the general authorities sorry it's in reverse to the viewers isn't it on the, on the left uh, with the white background but um, I, I'm, I'm hijacking your show here i'm making it rubbish tonight but i'm just i look at it going i've got no idea what's going on on the right but i've also got no idea what's going on the left and the point that i always say to you pz is i don't think that i questioned enough did i as in, I literally just would accept everything. So, like, you're now going to be talking about some of the differences. I, I don't know. It's just... You know what I think it comes down to? It comes down to everyone having something to do. Because if you've not got something to do, you don't feel important enough and you can disappear. So, I think as Joseph started to see more and more capable people coming into the church, he needed to give them something to do so that they could uh, push the church forwards. And you're climbing that ladder of power, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. You know, just, constantly just trying. one foot on a run would make you feel that you could get, at some day, quite, quite far up it. Joseph changed ch uh, first presidency councillors like his underpants. You know, he'd just be like, oh, William Law, yeah, come on in. Um, John C. Bennett. Yeah, you know, you can come on in. And some of these guys turned out to be, according to the church at least, less than desirable characters. But I think he'd see people much like himself come into the church and he'd be like, you know what? I can use your kind of um, aura and get up and go. And he'd give them an important role. And then it, it'd all fall apart when he found out they were, you know, sleeping around or whatever. Remind me of that when we come back to when we come on to Revelation later. Well, let's go there, and then I can give you my um, view of when I was selecting people for callings. Okay, apostasy. So this is a big one that we set up. We spoke about it in the first lesson, and it's I, I think it's interesting that the church gives it 
its own section because they need to set up this apostasy between Jesus and now so that there was a reason for Joseph. Because if there was no apostasy between Jesus and now, then there was no need for any kind of restoration. So um, they, they define an apostasy as when the Lord takes his church away from the earth due to the wickedness of the people. And um, they talk about Adam. So from here on the left, oh, this section underneath principle two apostasy, this is from Preach My Gospel today. Sister PD, do you want to read that? Yep. God revealed the gospel of Jesus Christ to Adam and gave him priesthood authority. Adam was the first prophet on the earth. By revelation, Adam learned of mankind's proper relationship with God the Father, his son Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost of the atonement and resurrection of Jesus Christ and of the first principles and ordinances of the gospel. Adam and Eve taught their children these truths and encouraged them to develop faith and live the gospel in all aspects of their lives. Adam followed, sorry, Adam was followed by the other prophets, but over time, the posterity of Adam rejected the gospel and fell into apostasy, choosing to be unrighteous. Awesome. So that was the process. Um, the authority was given. Adam taught it to his children. They all rejected it and they fell into apostasy. And it goes on saying that prophets such as Noah, Abraham, Moses, they were all the beginning of their dispensations because there were apostasies before them. Um, so Noah being the obvious one, God killed everyone, well, stand-up guy. And Noah began that new dispensation with just him and seven other people to populate the whole planet. Um, so this, this is set up, and then it basically says that after Jesus died, there was an apostasy that the apostles were rejected. And we do know from uh, the Bible and different things, there were a lot of uh, martyrs and different things because imagine these people are going out and teaching what other people see to be heresies and religion was the biggest thing back then. You know, there was no Britain's got talent or anything like that. So <laughs> they, they get quite upset with these people teaching heresies about a different God or about Jesus being, um, this this new god so today we look at it and we're like oh that was satan killing off the church but this would say that god was killing off the church because the people were evil and god takes away the church when the people are evil and to be clear when you were teaching this as a missionary and you were saying to people you know about apostasy that that was a bad thing or that was a good thing the reason i say that is when i would always hear the word and would think about it you know it, it was a bad thing but I suppose in this context you're kind of saying it needed to happen for Joseph to come on down but how would it be portrayed to the investigator that the apostasy was a bad thing? Uh, no we'd, we'd portray it to the investigator that there were apostasies boo but that Joseph came and made it all better so I guess you're saying it was a bad thing, but it was a bad thing that had to happen for a good reason. Mm. It's like the whole um, opposition in all things. Like the church can't be true unless there are apostates like us sat here spouting Satan's uh, it, words. He's whispering in our ears. You know, he's, he's in the headphones now telling us exactly what to say so there can be an opposition in all things. You get me? Uh, all I can hear in the headphones is you telling me what to say. Awesome. Right. <laughs> Um, oh, Mother of Pearl, yes, the apostasy never happened. So 
I was um, teaching this lesson to, I think it was a Catholic, and this guy, we found him in the area book, and he was like a seven-year-old media referral or something like that. And we decided we, we'd bus all the way out to where he lived and try and teach him. And he invited us in, really nice bloke. And apparently what happened was he'd rocked up to like the church open house or something where the, the building had been refurbished or whatever. And they had like a visitor's book. And he put his name and address in the visitor's book. That was his first mistake. <laughs> so that name and address has been in the area book forever. And he once had like a video sent to him of Jesus and stuff. And we went out to visit him. And I, I was trying to teach him this lesson about apostasy. And he got really angry because I think quite rightly, the Catholic Church has a record of basically everyone since Peter. Yes. So you were telling me about this the other day. Yeah. So. Joseph Smith, like the prophets, seers, and revelators today in the Mormon church or so-called prophets claim an unbroken chain of authority back to Joseph Smith. And Joseph Smith claims it from supernatural forces, whereas the Catholic church. Now, I'm not saying the Catholic church is a true church or anything. I'm just saying this is what it is. This guy was saying the Catholic church, and I didn't know at the time, has their records all the way back to the Apostle Peter and every apostle and bishop thereafter. So in that respect, you could say there wasn't an apostasy because the church that Peter set up after Jesus, and Jesus said that he was the rock upon what upon which he would build his church in the book of John. So Peter's church is a true church at the time because he was a direct apostle of Jesus, and that church is now the Catholic church. So this guy was trying to tell me that. And he said, do you know who carried through, you know, the gospel through this apostasy you talk about? And I was being really cocky. And I said to him, no, but I think you're about to tell me. And he kicked us out. He didn't even tell me. He just kicked <laughs> us out. He literally lost his crap. And I would have, I would as well, because, um, yeah. Alyssa, Jesus never set up a church. No, we were just discussing that. More a movement than a church, um, I would say. So apostasy, we're setting up apostasy. We're telling the investigator that this has happened now, no matter what church you've been to, they're all apostate. And it, um, it is now Joseph's, Joseph's turn to fill the hole that we've just created. So God revealed the truth of Joseph Smith. Now, a lot of this we discussed in the first lesson. Go on. Yeah, I don't want to go over it, but I just I can't help but feel that if I was a 14-year-old, and I was once, believe it or not, only a little bit before we met. And I was going to church with my parents. I assume Joseph went in with his parents. I just, I don't know that at that time I'd have been saying what my mum and dad say is wrong. And I think I'm going to go into a forest and find out for myself. I just, I struggle to think now. I never did back then, but perhaps I do struggle to think now at 14. Would he have been that brave to be that outspoken against his parents? Are the other ministers? His dad was a drunk, so the father figure in the home wasn't what you might respect as a father figure. You know, there was probably different dynamics at that time. Okay. There was very much, it was very much Victorian society, wasn't it? So the father was supposed to be um, the one. Okay. So 
the question there is, you know, his brother Alvin was kind of the father in the home mm-hmm. in that respect. And yeah, maybe Joseph, maybe he did. He was seen as the very spiritual one. And they would go to different churches all the time because they weren't settled. His family, I think, were going towards Presbyterian. He was going towards Methodism. So maybe, maybe not. Um, but he was told to join none of the churches. Who could have come up with that response? You know, you could have gone to the bookies and said he's about to see God and Jesus Christ and asked them which church is true. And they'd have given odds on all of them. But who would have said that God would have said none of them? I just, I struggled because I believed it so. I never, ever questioned. It was just the perfect story, wasn't it? It was the perfect fairy tale. In my head, PD, I've got like Joseph Smith in a Disney movie where, you know, everything's going wrong and there's some sort of a villain and then he just comes along and saves the day. So, yeah, it, it just seemed like it seemed like the perfect story to me. Obviously, I didn't think it was the story back then, um, but a lot of it, I think I see now that, you know, it's illusion building, isn't it? Well, let me tell you, the Joseph Smith story is like the reverse of Bambi. He gets shot at the end, not the beginning. <laughs> Sorry. That's another fan. Oh. oh, dear. It's getting warm in here. Right then. Um, so the people understood. Oh, so this, one, this is one that gets me, right? So there's the whole thing of they draw close to me with their hearts, but their mouths are far. No, draw close to me with their mouths, lips, but their hearts are far from me, right? And this is the reason that, Jesus Christ is given to Joseph Smith that he shouldn't go to any of the churches. Okay. But isn't that exactly what the church does today? You could say that of all of them. They draw close to me with their lips because anyone can say it. Lip I service. Yeah. I can say hail Jesus, but their hearts are far from them. And I think that's the same with the church today. I think it's constantly Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. But when you scratch the surface, it's Joseph. Yeah. Or Ruslem Nelson at the minute, because he is just dominating. I can't remember any other like prophet absolutely dominating the uh, airways like this guy does. At least Gordon B. Hinckley and Thomas S. Monson told jokes. <laughs> you know is, what I mean? Is that why you left PD? Because there weren't enough joke telling going on. Yeah, like I was there for the comedy and it ended. <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> So moving through, translation of the Book of Mormon. Translation of the Book of Mormon. So we went over this in number one, but I saw something this week that someone sent me. Um, sorry, if you're on here, thank you so much for sending this. Sorry, could you say that again? My apologies. No, that was... He said, thank you so much to whoever sent this. That's Siri. Um, no, the Book of Mormon plates and math. Now, I think on Mormon stories recently... LDS discussions went through this. I think Mormonism Alive have been through it. But basically, the, the important numbers here are the size of the plates, five inches tall. So Joseph gave, and other people, gave very good kind of um, sizings of the plates. So then you can say, well, how thick were the plates? And someone over here, they've done thickness of plates, um to fit into that five inch stack and the thinnest one that they think you could engrave is um 
one sixty fourth of an inch thick. So that's tiny, you know. This, so you, this is kind of blowing my mind. So you you get them <laughs> together. So that's they they're saying for a five inch stack you can have three hundred and twenty plates. Okay. So then if each symbol is a word, the Book of Mormon when it was first published was. 349,240 words. It's now 286,000 odd, you know, for the most important and accurate book of all time. We've lost quite a bit of it. But so 350 odd thousand words. So the question is is there enough space on these 320 plates to fit 350,000 words of English? Um, translated what, into glyphs. What what odds are the book is going to give me on this PD? <laughs> Not good ones. Okay. Um, so, but basically, um, that would be equivalent to over one thousand ninety one glyphs per page, instead of uh, the two hundred and fifty that's spoken about from the archives. And it would take at least four times <laughs> more plates to cover the tot the totality of English words translated. Where did they come from? So the, the thing is, and I think this, it fits with Joseph's idea of Egyptian. Everyone thought back then that Egyptian, you get one character and that means a whole bunch of things. So like you see like a, a yep. an eagle swooping, it doesn't just mean eagle swooping, it means that eagle's been to the chippy, he's flying a bit low because he's got a full load, and he's headed past the South Cliff to drop off a small bag of chips to Mrs. Smith. Picked up someone's toupee along the way. <laughs> yeah. So that one glyph tells that whole story. Okay. And in that respect, if that was the case, then you could say, yeah, it fits. But it doesn't because that's not how Egyptian works. And much like normal, you know, English, um, hieroglyphics just mean very specific things. There's a lot of information on that page, PD. I'm thinking that people are going to need to, to to look that up and take their time. But I just love then at the bottom it says, underlined in red in capital letters, with a full stop, this book is a fraud. You know what? The church really needs to take uh, notice of, of what they've done there because um, the book is a fraud in, in capital, yeah, red, underlined. That That means it's true. You know, anything that is written in red, capitals, underlined, means it's true they should have put that at the beginning of this discussion you know i'm very musical pd i feel like i want to break out into song now is it that one but um, i ain't saying he a gold digger i feel I, <laughs> with all that gold sat in front of him how did he how did he weigh up whether to translate it or just just melt it down um <laughs> you know what that's where the gold comes from in the first place the treasure digging and yeah this is what tell, I mean. telling everyone i've got a golden bible but then I think it worked against him because then all of his friends who he was treasure digging with wanted their own piece of the gold that he'd found. Yeah. So, and then he couldn't give it to them because he didn't have it. 